Hello, welcome to episode 19 of the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood from trappingtoday.com. Um, it's great to have you here. Thank you for tuning in as always. Um, so anyway, we're we're moving along toward the end of March. Um, last episode, we talked about uh, tanning your fur. And I uh, actually have some stuff posted on up on the website now. Uh, the, <clears throat> basically, the stuff we talked about with all the different uh, tannery options and the idea of self-tanning. I actually, I think I mentioned uh, a nice YouTube video by Coon Creek Outdoors um, on actually doing some some tanning yourself it can be done and he did an excellent job on that video so I do have a page there on <clears throat> trappingtoday.com slash self tanning and I link to that YouTube video and also provide a couple of links where you can um, purchase the that easy tan stuff that he uses and there's also a couple of kits <clears throat> of just oh, tanning kits that include the easy tan or some other tanning solution and uh, different other things that you uh, can use with, as you're uh, going through that tanning process. So um, anyway, that's tanning. Um, moving on to uh, my book, Fur Profit. I mention it just about every episode, but I don't want you to forget. And there's new people tuning in every now and then. Um, we're growing a little bit all the time, so that's great. I want to grow a lot more, so uh, keep telling your friends spread the word and keep listening in and if you would like to hear something on the podcast let me know I'll see what I can do same goes for the blog trapping today and uh, and maybe even the YouTube channel doing a little bit there um, <clears throat> here and there and uh, just kind of building things up a little bit at a time so anyway uh, the the book is available on Amazon you can buy that uh, $12 free shipping. Uh, you could also buy it from me on my website on, on trappingtoday.com. Same price. And uh, that one I will ship here from here in my house um, <clears throat> for the for the same price. So, and I I get a little bit extra if I ship it from home, but not, not really a whole lot of a difference there. But anyway, I, um, you know, I've been selling... Uh, uh, four or five copies a week here recently. Things have slow, slowed down with the end of trapping season, um, but we are sort of. Uh, I, I just released the book kind of most of the way through the season, so I really was putting it together for next season. And uh, if you are a dealer and you haven't gotten my information, or you've gotten my information, and I I sent you a copy of the book and you haven't ordered yet, you might want to uh, consider doing that. Uh, sooner rather than later, because um, there, I've had some issues with a recent order with the the printer, the publisher. I'm I self-published the book, but I have a company printing it for me, and they um, I'm getting this is my third bulk order, and I'm getting a lot of delays on this third order. So um, <clears throat> you may you may want to check in on that if you get a small order. I've got oh. 100, 150 books here at the house uh, that I can I could fill those small orders. But if you're if you're looking for um, you know more than 100, then you might want to uh, you might want to get on that a little sooner. And uh, thank you guys who have ordered already. I I very much appreciate that, and I hope that it's a good addition to your catalog and and it sells well. 
Um, I'm going to be doing some work in promoting that book, and I, and I hope that uh, I hope we can get some more copies out in people's hands. So, um, <clears throat> moving on to some trapping news, let's talk about a few things that uh, I've seen in the news recently and have been posting up on Trapping Today. Um, <clears throat> Indiana DNR is proposing a hunting and trapping season for bobcats. So this is, you know, bobcat and otter have been, you know, the last five to ten years have been really a, a huge success story for those two species. They've recovered. It's just taken time for the populations have, have long since recovered. And now, you know, the state agencies are kind of catching up with, okay, it's time to do something about this. We should probably, you know, implement some sort of management on these species and have some harvest. <clears throat> so um, they're proposing that there's there's several other states have done this and, and implemented new seasons and and all the ones that I've seen have been very successful so far. Uh, they had uh, this article I'm looking at from uh, Indiana. They actually had a public meeting where they had a hundred people show up and there were trappers and farmers that were in support of the new season. And then there were uh, some of the, the green people who were uh, very much opposed to it and wanted to see more data and didn't think there was um, enough information and they weren't comfortable with it and so on. So anyway, uh, that's, I think, moving in the positive direction, I hope. Um, the other article that I linked to here was uh, an interview in Vermont with the Commissioner of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, his name is Lewis Porter. And uh, the guy, I don't know him very well, but this guy is absolutely on point when it comes to trapping. Uh, this was a, a pretty good article. You know, usually I see stuff like this and it's just like, you know, I may or may not post it up on Trapping Today. But this one, this one was really good. It was like he hit on... A lot of good points and it was obvious that um, this local newspaper that was uh, interviewing him was was kind of trying to tweak tweak him a little bit or ask some tough questions and uh, he handled it very well so uh, the first question on in the interview I'll just go through a little bit of it because it's interesting the first question is why does the state of Vermont support trapping and it's like you know to me it's kind of what why do you why what do you even what kind of question is that you know why do you support trapping you, <clears throat> you manage wildlife that's your job um, but he he handled it extremely well and he he made the point that <clears throat> a lot of people want to see trapping banned in a state like Vermont where there's you know they're they're the population is made up of a lot of left-leaning people a lot of population centers the city and uh, people who do not have a deep connection with um, with animals in the way that uh, rural farmers and hunters and outdoors people traditionally have had. So there's you know there's a big demographic change in the state, and with that comes different politics and and uh, opposition to traditional practices like trapping. So he he recognizes that and he said basically you know in places you know I realize people want to ban trapping in Vermont however what people don't understand is that in places where trapping is banned 
uh, like Massachusetts, where they basically the trapping has basically been banned. However, they just as many beaver are trapped in Massachusetts as were before the trapping ban came in. The only difference is those beavers are trapped as nuisance animals and in response to nuisance uh, beaver control issues as opposed to fur trapping. And uh, he makes the point that that matters for two reasons. First, landowners have to pay trappers to take beavers instead of the trappers taking them voluntarily as part of recreation or fur trapping. You know, and, and the guy, Montana commissioner, made this point too when they had a ballot initiative to ban trapping on public lands in Montana a year or so ago. And he said, you know, we're crazy to, to for people to want to do this. You know, we've got trappers that are paying us, purchasing a license, and paying us to go out and provide a service that we would otherwise have to pay for if if they weren't allowed to do that. It's just, it's mind-boggling that, that people don't recognize that or they don't care. Um, so anyway, that was the first point. And then um, the second point is that when trappers are harvesting these beavers, for instance, uh, the fur is being used and and being produced as, uh, you know, a valuable item as opposed to when they're trapped in the summer, when they're trapped during as animal damage control, uh, they're just getting tossed in a landfill. So um, it, it, the the argument that you can ban trapping and that's going to save animals is not true. It's completely untrue. In addition, you're you're increasing waste. So that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Uh, another a parallel to that is like the you know the people who want to ban fur or you know want to fashion brands that are getting rid of fur. You know they're replacing that fur with with synthetic um, materials that are not renewable and are harmful to the environment compared to fur which is renewable so you know it's it's a feeling it's not a it's not quite so much logic um, as far as as we are concerned as trappers so um, <clears throat> moving on they talked about nuisance animals a little bit in this interview uh, talked about animals that are different species that are trapped um, and this was another quite hard-hitting question. It's just a oh, the guy's pretty amazing. He says, "What about the cruelty aspects of tra- aspect of trapping?" So, so the question automatically assumes that trapping is cruel, okay? And and it seemed like it was kind of trying to trying to catch the guy off guard or something. And, and uh, you got to watch for that when people ask you that stuff. I I've been kind of shocked before by questions like that. Um, but he hammered it. He he said, uh, you know, he talked about, you know, fish and wildlife departments and trappers across North America have worked a long time to come up with the most humane traps and management practices. Modern traps hold the animal but generally don't cause damage to them. In fact, when we are reintroducing fur-bearing animals, we often use leg-hold traps to catch those species. I would use the term foothold traps because they hold the foot, not a leg, but um, that uh, neither here nor there. Um, and we do that because most of the time they can be released uninjured. Recently, we've brought back Martin to Vermont. The idea that trapping, and then he he moves on to to a completely different issue. Well, as compared to Mart, Martin reintroduction, 
and about the whole cruelty thing. Uh, he says, the idea that trapping causes a lot of pain and injury to the animal is not right. That's not to say trapping doesn't cause stress and anxiety for the animal. And I mentioned this in a couple a couple episodes ago about, uh, you know, that animal, come, you're coming up to the trap and that animal's caught there. It's, you know, it's nervous. It, it's not a great, you know, it's not an exciting feeling uh, for that animal. And, and, you know, me as a trapper, it, it even bothers me. Um, on a certain level, um, but it, it is, you know, it's a part of reality, um, <clears throat> and he, he says, uh, in another question, he moves on back to that, back to that whole idea that there is, you know, there is a level of stress, there is a level of anxiety, um, we're not mangling these animals' legs, it's just ridiculous, um, and, and then the other baited question might the animal injure itself trying to escape the trap he says yeah it's possible but that's quite unusual with modern traps great answer why not just shoot the animals as with hunting this is just it's it's just unbelievable um (laughs) i gotta figure out who this interviewer is um porter says uh you could if you were willing to spend hours waiting for a nuisance beaver or hire someone to do that but you kind of deflects the question you really don't want to shoot into the water that can be quite dangerous especially in areas where there are houses peoples and cars and when you're talking about nuisance animals they're usually near human infrastructure and so on um but really to go a little deeper in that question people say this all the time oh real men real men shoot their animals real men hunt they don't need to use traps that is a complete load of garbage um trapping trapping is a an absolute challenge if if you want to you know you want to stack it up against hunting and and trapping's done because it's an efficient way to catch animals um you're you're not going to sit on a bait and shoot 100 coyotes but you could trap 100 coyotes um, to be an effective harvester of fur bears you need to be able to trap you're not going to shoot martin and fisher and and catch you know the guys up in alaska they're catching 100 200 martin you might shoot three in a season if you stand out there all your the entire winter, it's just it's a garbage argument. It's not hunting is is not anywhere near an effective way um, f- in, for the majority of fur-bearing animals to harvest big numbers. Um, you can shoot beaver in the spring, uh, a limited you know a limited time of year, right after ice out when the fur is still good, and uh, beavers are moving around a lot. Most places where I live, that's illegal. Um, it it would be awfully nice if we if we could have a season where we could could harvest beavers with a rifle in the spring. Um, I think I think it could be effective, and uh, <clears throat> it would be it be very much a, I think a, a valuable addition to trapping. But um, you know, in Canada, Alaska, and other states, uh, you you are able to shoot them. Um, but other than that, pretty much you know <clears throat> the whole shooting argument is is bunk. Um, he asks, uh, is there any kind of new regulation or changes to trapping laws you'd support? He says, fur trapping is the most regulated recreational activity in the state. And that is a fact in probably most every state. Um, moving on. Yep. So in summary, you, you find trapping to be a very effective and humane way to control state animal populations. Importer responds, yes. Trapping does cause stress and anxiety for animals caught in a trap, 
but we do many things that do the same and cause death, from farming to hunting to driving cars to building houses. <laughs> One of the things the anti-trapping advocates don't acknowledge is that the recovery of many species is dependent on trapping of other species, including animals that do direct predation or directly uh, predate on, on others. He says, Fisher are a major competitor of and likely predator of American martens. We're trying to restore martens in Vermont, and it's facilitated greatly in areas where there's trapping of fishers. Excellent point. Um, and finally, doo -doo -doo. this is a this is an excellent excellent fi finish to this interview. Um, Porter says, uh, "It was just like the whole you know typical interview." questions they end with is there anything we didn't cover and he just sums it up he said the fundamental belief and guiding principle of my department is that people will conserve and value and protect the things that they use and that sustain them and some of the best naturalists I know are trappers and hunters I think the fundamental difference between those who support trapping and those who oppose it is the group versus the individual my primary interest and mission is on the population level and I think the concern with trapping is about the individual animal. While that's a very valid point and we should be concerned about all animals, in my mind the overriding concern is managing and restoring populations. And uh, I think uh, no commissioner of Fish and Wildlife could have put it any better. That was just absolutely excellent, excellent interview uh, with, with Vermont Commissioner uh, Lewis Porter. All right. And finally, in our last news item of the podcast, there is a rock star coming to the NTA convention um, this summer. And I, unfortunately, do not have the budget or the time to be able to travel across the country and go to this convention. Um, the furthest I probably will go is Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend, if I'm lucky to get there. And uh, But the NTA is up in... I think it's up in es yeah, it's in Escanaba, um, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and Tom Miranda is is showing up. So you know, a month or so ago, we heard that Ma Marty Mayaretto, the uh, the mountain man from Alaska, a uh, trapper who's been famous from the TV show Mountain Men, uh, he's going to be there, and now Tom Miranda is going to be there. So, um, boy, it that is pretty incredible. And uh, if you don't know who Tom Miranda is, um, well, if you're younger, you, maybe you know him as a bow hunter. Uh, but Tom got his start as a professional trapper. And when he was just a young pup, just fresh out of school, he left Ohio and went to Michigan to, uh, um, to pursue a full-time career as a professional trapper back in the fur boom days when uh, you could do that. And... Uh, and it paid. He wrote articles. He uh, started a video series. He's incredibly hard worker, um, of, of very much a a motivation. Um, I I really um, look to Tom in his work ethic and his uh, what what he was able to accomplish as as a you know really big motivator uh, for people like me trying to do things in in the trapping world. And uh, he filmed a bunch of stuff. He created uh, and worked on this fur fishing game video series, this trapper trapping library, which uh, was one of the first. I think his one of his videos, his series was the first I watched when I was first learning how to trap. My my trapping mentor lent me those fur fishing game videos, 
and uh, I watched them um, all the way through two, three, four times a piece. And uh, Tom, uh, Tom did an incredible job with those. He had a line of trapping lures, which you can still find in places. And uh, you know, if trapping kind of died away, it was harder to make a living. And uh, Tom was pretty ambitious, wanted to, you know, wanted to keep growing and and keep uh, getting bigger. And uh, he, I don't know, maybe he outgrew trapping. I, I don't know, or he just just moved on to something different. We all have different interests in certain periods of our lives. And uh, anyway, Tom uh, Tom started this bow hunting show on on outdoor uh, television, and he uh, he's been extremely successful with that. So um, if you were one of those guys uh, like me who was influenced by Tom. As when you were just getting started trapping, or or as you were a younger trapper, uh, and if you're going to the NTA, that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I I look forward to hearing how that goes. I guess he's giving two different talks um, on uh, on his. I think one's going to be on his start in the trapping industry, and and then maybe he's going to have uh, he's going to have another talk on. I th- I think on the business aspect of uh, the trapping industry. Let's see. I'm going to pull up this link here. Miranda plans to present two seminars at the July convention about how he started out as a trapper and how his love for the outdoors, hard work, and determination resulted in his becoming a well-known outdoorsman. The seminars are entitled You Make Your Own Luck, the Tom Miranda story, and how trapping made me a better bow hunter. So anyway, that should be interesting. Uh, looking forward to hearing how that goes. Now I want to move on and talk about a couple of articles that I've written recently um, on trapping today. And the first one is about Connie Pans. So uh, I've talked about this a little bit in the past. I put up a YouTube video on Connie Pans uh Oh, it was quite a few months ago, actually, and, and uh, it's gotten quite a bit of interest. So, uh, when I f- first of all, off, you know, when I started trapping, like most people, I used the traditional triggers on uh, conibear body grip traps, and that comes stock in basically every body grip trap. And you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, there are uh, at least half a dozen different trap manufacturers that make body grips but you they every one of them has the same trigger configuration um, which is basically the same as it's been for decades for for a very long time and it's uh, you know you got the dog and you got the the trigger with a notch in it and the dog has two to three notches typically sometimes one and they hook into uh, the uh, the trigger, and then you have two wires coming out, and they're usually spread out um, evenly uh, across the uh, the opening of, in between the jaws of the trap. And usually, you want those kind of in a V shape, so that you, they cover most of the area, and the animal tries to get through and has to, you know, they look like little twigs, and I'll just push those aside, and they get caught. They set off the the trap. Uh, some people like to set those triggers in a number of different configurations. 
Um, some people will, you know, you could have them in the V, some will put them right close together. Sometimes you can make, uh, sometimes I'll make like a little L and I'll go, I'll put the trap upside down for muskrat trapping in a run that's in the water. And uh, I'll make the little L so that only one uh, little trigger wire is sticking up over, uh, over the surface of the water. And then there's kind of a horizontal wire that's just underneath the surface. And uh, the muskrat hits that with their, you know, their feet or their belly uh, to trip the trap. Uh, so there's a number of different ways you can use circle triggers that are kind of, uh, you know, a circular shape, look like a more natural round opening uh, that animals are are accustomed to going into. But for the most part, we're talking about the standard trigger where you got to push through something uh, to set things off. And uh, I don't know when Connie pans came around, but uh, there, there is a, they mainly come from one, one orig, origin, which is uh, Barker's Trapline Tools, and uh, Barker's has made these Connie pans for a long time. They're basically just a flat metal pan that has uh, four notches cut cut into uh, the the surface of the pan on the inside, and each of those notches has a tab and you pull up the tabs and the tabs wrap around the trigger wires that come stock with your your body grip trap and so you mount the pan onto that so instead of two trigger wires hanging down you have one flat sheet of metal that is um, taking up most of the area um, that's covered on the, on the inside of the jaws or a good portion of it and then what you do is you bend those triggers down to not quite a 90 degree angle to where that uh, basically where you would have had a vertical plane um, for your your standard V trigger wires. Those are now bent so they're almost a horizontal plane. Then you flip the trap upside down and the basically what you make with the pan is a platform for the animal to step on and if you go online you just search for Connie pans you'll see these uh, if you go to uh, trappingtoday.com and go in the search bar there in, and uh, type in Connie pans uh, you'll probably this article should show up and I get a nice picture there of, of a 120 with a Connie pan on it and there are a number of reasons to use the Connie pans so, and basically I outline that in the article. Um, you know, typically in a lot of cases that your traditional uh, trigger wires are going to work just fine. And uh, they work. A lot of people, that's all they ever use. Probably the majority of people, that's all they use. Uh, now, when, when we get into this predator, like our Martin and Fisher trapping up here in Maine, uh, we're exclusively pans, um, a, a lot of us. And... And uh, I'll go through a couple of reasons for that. So, first off, um, triggers aren't I always ideal for a couple of reasons. Um, the first thing is the animal has to push, physically push on the wires. So, if you have a small animal uh, that's going, trying to go through the trap to get to the bait, and like let's say a weasel going through a 120. Um, and there's if there's a lot of tension on that trigger, um, that animal might not be willing to push that hard on the wires to set the trap off. And and 
and I don't know how often this happens. It seems like uh, most of the animals that I catch, it seems like they they commit pretty hard to the bait, and I I don't know if that is uniform. I, I it would be awesome to have some trail cam footage and just to watch com- them come in to work a set, because I don't know like if you watch Martin uh, or Fisher as they're hunting, I've seen some video footage occasionally and and uh they go in like quick little spurts they'll go really quick they'll stop they'll go really quick they'll stop and and look around and go and stop and so i don't know when they're entering the box if they poke their head in and they look and they stop and they poke over to where the trap is and they touch the trigger with their whiskers a little bit and and it doesn't feel right and they back out um you don't i don't know because you don't catch those animals okay so so it's hard to tell how they acted um, the ones that uh, I catch a lot of times, uh, their mouth is wide open and onto the bait. Like they've, it's almost like they've just launched themselves right toward that bait. Like it was an animal that was trying to get away, and they just dove on it and just bit right into it as the trap was snapping down on them. So uh, that that may or may not be an issue with with a, an animal like a marten. Uh, as far as having having those triggers get having some tension however the other point uh, it it definitely may be an issue with a weasel though uh it's a lot smaller um and and some guys will put a little fine piece of wire to connect the two the ends of the two trigger wires uh, so that a weasel that's trying to sneak between the two gets gets hit but you know sometimes if you got some tension there the weasel might not might not be able to set it off uh, now the other issue that I just that kind of touches upon a little briefly is uh, that small weasel is going to sneak around those trigger wires and try to get between them and get around the side between the wire and the the jaw of the trap um, underneath over whatever uh, the the weasel is is pretty slick and he moves through small tight places and he can maneuver quite well so it's not an issue. Um, getting through that so a lot of times you have with your standard wires you're going to have you're you're not going to catch a lot of weasel and sometimes they'll go in they'll grab a chunk of bait and they'll come out and they'll set off uh, that trap maybe hit the trigger with the bait or whatever and um, and and they won't get caught and then your trap set off and you can't catch a martin so um, I guess some people maybe they say they don't want to catch a weasel um for me, I'm just happy with <laughs> anything I can catch. I'm running a lot of sets, and I just want to see a catch. I'm not too worried if if I catch a weasel and I don't get a martin. I hope I can get the martin the next the next trip. Um, if I get issues with clogging weasel weasels clogging up my sets, I'll just make another set right nearby. So uh, I li- I like catching weasels myself, and I actually just had one the other day that averaged seven dollars and twenty cents at the fur harvesters auction. So um, my Martin only averaged 26, so, uh, that weasel wasn't all that bad, and it wasn't a huge, huge weasel either, so, uh, you know, I don't mind weasels, I want to catch them, the Connie pans work very well, because they can go around the trigger, um, the pan, so the advantage of the pan, not only for weasel, not only for Martin and Fisher, is that, uh, the pan is a platform, it's a natural place where they want to step onto to get over to the bait. So they'll step onto that as sort of a jumping off point to get to the bait, which is just beyond it, um, or just kind of a place to 
you know, stand while they're feeding. Um, they're not typically going to jump over the pan. It's just, you know, it, the way that it's positioned, it's just, it's just in the right spot where, where it makes sense to, to step on it. And, and if you jump over it, you're, you're on top of the bait. Um, and there's a little bit of, of art form to that too, is your distance between your trap and your bait. Um, I've talked to trappers who have thought maybe they had issues with the bait being a little too close to the pan. If the bait is like, you know, an inch from the pan, uh, they could potentially reach their head over the top of the pan without having to actually step on it and get to the bait. Um, it, it, it may or may not be an issue. Um, I, I never had an issue with it, but I, like I said, other people have, have had that. Um, if it's too far away, the distance between the pan and the bait, uh, there may be some room that they see, oh, maybe I can just jump right over this and get to the bait. Um, the, the way I have mine, um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I'm a, probably about from the edge of, from the back edge of the pan to the, the beginning of the bait, I'm probably three, three to four inches, I, I would say. Um, I'm probably closer to three inches. Um, so um, that seems to be just right. And it seems that they're stepping on that as a platform and I get uh, what we call a, a suitcase catch. So so the jaws are, are um, you know, one set of jaws is right behind the head and the other set is right behind the front legs. So uh, <clears throat> makes for a good catch. Uh, the fisher, the big fishers, it's going to be a head catch right behind the right on the neck behind the ears so so that that works quite well um, I did th think initially that I was gonna have issues with the pans weasel stepping on the pans and not firing them off um, especially in the larger traps uh, has actually not been an issue so an interesting thing with the weasels is I've caught more since I moved to Connie pans I've caught more weasels in 160s and 220s and I could ever would have imagined especially the 160s and it's like I caught I don't know six or seven weasels in 160s this fall um and and maybe oh I can't remember I had a bunch of them that they burned a bunch of them burned when my shed burned down um I can't remember how many weasels I had total but I think I had three or four in the 120s so and I had I had equal numbers of 120s and 160s out, uh, so so they were. I was catching a lot in the 160s. It was pretty amazing. Um, it seemed like using that pan as a platform was was put them just in the right spot to get caught um, caught by those traps. And the interesting thing is, I thought initially that well, a weasel is not going to be able to set off that that bigger trap, and because of the pan tension would be too high. But actually, it seems like the weight that the pan that you put on the 160 and 220 trap is is a much bigger, obviously a much bigger pan than the one that goes on the 120. And the weight of the pan seemed to offset some of that difference in in pan tension. So it kind of it, it added, you know, added some weight to that trigger, so that it didn't take quite as much tension to set off the trap. Um, in fact, I had some. Oh, I hate, I don't want to trash any of the traps. Um, I think they were BMIs, and I could not get the things to to stay set with a, 
with a carny pan. I'll have to, I'll have to look and make sure that's right on the brand, but I'm pretty sure they're BMIs. And they, the way the triggers were, were set up, I, I filed and I did, I tried everything I could, and I just could not get them to keep, um, to stay set with a pan. I'd, I'd finally get it set and I'd, I'd put it in the box and it set off as I was walking away from the trap. It was just a nightmare. So those I just, I, I didn't set those, and I I probably put them, I'll probably take the pans off and let someone else use them as traditional triggers. Um, but uh, all the rest were absolutely just right on the money. They were, they were just perfect, and and they were kind of cheap. You know, I think they were Dukes that most of the other 160s I used, and I ne- I never had. You know, you had you definitely have some bent uh, jaws and stuff, but uh, I never had any issues with the triggers. Uh, setting um they, they actually worked really well so anyway um connie pans that's why i use them that's why a lot of tra- other trappers that do trap uh for martin and fisher like i do use them um another good application i think would be mink um actually i've got don powell's book on on mink trapping i haven't gone through it yet but uh he, i noticed he does um, mention using using a lot of uh, a lot of Connie pans on his body grips too. So uh, anything like where you had a pocket set um, and you maybe get some bait in the back of a pocket or something and you want a mink to go in there and a couple trigger wires might discourage him, but a pan might be like, oh, great, you know, um, <clears throat> might make that opening look much more encouraging. So, um, you know, that's Connie pans. I get, if you want to read through the article, uh, you can find that on trappingtoday.com. And, uh, and check it out, and uh, that'll be added on to uh, the list of, of articles that's available there. All right, so we have rattled on for quite a while. Um, I guess that will be it for this episode. Thank you again for tuning in, for listening all the way through. Hope that was useful, and uh, I'm going to talk in the f- some future episodes I'm going to talk about an uh, article I wrote on Martin and Fisher trapping uh, in Maine with Lynx exclusion devices. Um, and then we are going to transition into some lure and bait making stuff. So uh, I'm excited to get into that and uh, and continue to, to crank out some podcast episodes. And I'd uh, love to hear any feedback uh, that you have, um, questions, comments, and, and so on. So thanks for tuning in. And... It's getting to be a little bit of the off-season for a lot of us, but uh, keep on thinking, trapping, talking, trapping, and getting ready for next season of trapping. Um, Finding ways to make yourself a better trapper. Um, And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.